0: This is the Salty Splash Podcast. Welcome to the Salty Splash Water Polo Pod. The Salty Splash will take a look at water polo growth from the perspective of water polo athletes, clubs, parents, referees, and coaches, exploring issues facing the growth of the sport we love at a local level, and will seek to have interesting and collaborative discussions with stakeholders to the game. My name is Sean Stringham, and I look forward to creating conversation honoring the history of water polo, but more importantly, talking about the future of our sport. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I am the men's head coach and club director of Olympus Water Polo. I serve on the Utah Water Polo and USA Water Polo Mountain Zone boards. I will come at this podcast from the perspective of someone who has lived outside of California, always looking for best practices to grow the sport at every level, splash ball, age group, club high school and beyond. This episode features a conversation with Tyson Heath. Tyson is the chair of the USA water polo mountain zone board. He is also a very high level referee in Utah that travels regularly, continue to hone his craft. We will talk about growth, the state of the sport in the mountain zone, how coaches and referees can work together to support the game, how clubs and teams can attract and retain athletes, and the best way for parents to get their questions answered by a referee on deck. The goal of this podcast is to create growth that will introduce more kids to the game and create quality competition and development opportunities in our home of Utah, Mountain Zone, and ultimately across the country. Please subscribe, rate, give a five-star review, and share the podcast. I look forward to bringing you regular episodes. Let's work together to bring the sport we love to every pool. Please feel free to engage on these and other water polo topics by finding Salty Splash Pod on Instagram and Twitter, join the conversation in the Salty Splash Pod Facebook group, or simply just email me at saltysplashpod at gmail.com. Let's keep the conversation going. All right, well, we'd like to welcome everyone in. And uh, we have just brought Tyson Heath into the conversation for our salty splash podcast here. I'd like to welcome Tyson. Tyson is currently uh, the USA Water Polo Mountain Zone president. Uh, He's a very active referee. You see him on deck all the time. He's some of his past service to the water polo has been uh, the head referee in Utah High School Water Polo Association. First of all, Tyson, thanks so much for your service for the water polo community. And I would love to just kind of go back in history and just get a sense of how did you get into water polo? What's your origin story when it comes to water polo?
1: Absolutely. And uh, thanks for having me, Sean. I love the name of the, the podcast and the series. It's very uh, clever and creative. But, um, you know, what got me into polo, uh, we, we moved back um, to Utah And we moved out to the Kearns area when I was in sixth grade. And, you know, out out in the Kearns area, the, the rec center was kind of where I first got introduced to, one, the swim team and started, you know, swimming in sixth grade. And then it wasn't really until about seventh grade when water polo got introduced to the younger kids. Granted, this was well over 20 years ago. And so the polo in the Valley, the polo in Utah, um, and even the polo at Kearns, the Kearns uh, was a lot different than what it is now. Um, swimming was the primary focus and we would do polo in the off season during the summer. And we couldn't start to begin to play till about seventh or eighth grade because there wasn't a lot of youth club. I participated in the first year that the Kearns Fall League ever took place um, as an athlete. And that wasn't until middle of my high school year. So, I mean, it's crazy to to see what club and age group polo is now versus the opportunities we had you know, over 20 years
0: ago. Well, and we're going to have uh, Brad on the podcast coming up as well, but he, he loves to tell that story of like that first fall league was something like four or five teams and uh, was really just trying to get an opportunity for kids to get in the water. And that really did set tone for, the, for water polo and the development of water polo in Utah. Obviously, did you play in high school? Did you continue to play through club? Uh, what did that look like for you?
1: Yep. so uh, I continued playing uh, through high school, played for uh, Kearns High, graduated uh, from there in 05, played two years for the University of Utah's club team. And then that's when my passion for refereeing uh, really began to evolve. And uh, I left playing club polo uh, my junior and senior year uh, to begin to officiate and spend more time during the the spring and the fall committing and trying to learn the game from a different angle as a referee. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that in a little bit, but graduated from the U, moved down to Las Vegas for grad school, played masters with Team Vegas for a couple of years under Sandy Nita and once again, that was a different experience playing for a true um, year-round Masters Club team, continuing to develop skills and just you know different aspects of the game. So you know, over, over my 20 years of being involved in the sport, uh, you continue to learn as the game has continued to evolve and you find different aspects within the game through the different, the playing, the refereeing, coaching, you know, over time, uh, you the, you find new things in the sport that you develop a passion for.
0: Right. One of the I, I know you're you in the water every once in a while now as a master's athlete. I've seen it with my two, own two eyes. But uh, you're most known around these parts about uh, for being one of the best referees in the state of Utah. You've mentioned it briefly, but how did you get into refereeing? What brought you into it? How did you get excited about it? What was part of your progression in terms of becoming a referee for USA Water Polo?
1: Uh, so as a, as a senior, uh, in high school, I thought I knew more of the game than the referees did. And so I had one of those, uh, personalities.
0: I was going to say, so you're one of those kids. Yes. <laughs> I, I was
1: one of those kids. And, and I look back now and I feel bad for uh, the referees that, um, had to deal with me back in the day, but I, I always, I always worked the table. And so I was always around the referees from like my freshman year, you know, all the way to uh, my senior year of working the tables uh, during the girls game, maybe during the JV game, or whenever Brad would have an out of state tournament come in, I would be working the table. And so I was always around the referees. I was always trying to learn more about the game. And then that led to just during practice, blowing the whistle a little bit, you know, seeing if I could handle and if I could actually apply what what they were telling me and, and what they were explaining. Right out of high school, right after graduation, I reached out to Dawn. I also have my, you know, my colleague, Madison Drury, to thank because she also was the one who helped kind of push and force us to, you know, go down the refereeing route. And so the two of us went to the training. We wrapped our first season, and I think it was our fourth game ever. We did a game together. Uh, up at Weaver. it's a very uh, it's, a, it's a highlight of our refereeing career. <laughs> from that moment, it stuck. Right, uh, we fell in love with it. We fell in love with the sport, the atmosphere, the environment, and you know, over the 15 plus years of refereeing, I mean, it's taken it's taken me all over the place. It's allowed me opportunities to meet uh, new individuals and to continue to learn the game in a different way and what officiating and refereeing is. In itself, it's not just the water polo, it's also the skill set required to be a referee.
0: Right. It's amazing. I mean, I think one of the key things out of that last statement that you just said that I have found amazing about water polo is the opportunities, right? I mean, if you kind of continue to dive down into it, there are places that I've been and at the same time, people I've met that I never would have had that kind of connection with. And it's a small enough community, really, that you can really find some really fun and interesting people to have conversations with. Obviously, you're mountain zone president now. What are some of the other roles that you have in the game at this point? Are you, do you have a list of those that you could share with everyone?
1: So, um, you know, water polo, as you said, it's a small community. And so those that continue to evolve and stay in the community, there's an unwritten rule, unwritten rule of giving back to the sport. And that can happen in multiple ways. So whether it is serving in leadership positions, whether it's, you know, volunteering on social media, like I said, the administrative side of it, or on the refereeing side, it's giving back. It's helping to train and educate newer officials without having a title. That's just part of the responsibility as a senior official is to help give back, to help train and guide new officials the same way that we were trained guided right. right, back in the day. As well as you ever attend an ODP camp, the referees are volunteering their time to one, whether it's referee the scrimmages during the clinics or two at the competitions. Those referees are not being paid to referee the game. They're volunteering. They're giving back And they're showing their commitment to the sport to allow them additional opportunities as they move forward. So some of those, you know, current roles right now, as you said, is, you know, serving as the chair of the zone and then just really being an active participant with our newer officials and trying to help guide and and lead them. And then, you know, work with athletes on the side as that comes up.
0: Yeah. You've always been a great advocate for the sport. I appreciate that. So we obviously, uh, as we're recording this in middle May, right at the moment of 2020, we just are in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Um, As of March, at the middle of March or so, we kind of, we ended up having to cancel or postpone the season. We didn't know at the time how it was all going to play out. In the end, it really has, the season has been canceled. Um, In the Utah spring season, which is one of the primary seasons here tell me what did you miss the most did you, uh, from did you ever ha- did you have any withdrawals or pangs as a referee did you miss anything from the season
1: yeah you know it's actually a really uh, good question because it's it's a yes and a no right where
0: well you know uh, the follow up question is like yeah, well, exactly, what, what like, were you glad to exactly, miss right
1: yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. No, it uh the, the spring season, it, um, within my own personal life, within my my work career life, everybody knows that's water polo season, where Tyson's not at his desk, he's probably refereeing a game. <laughs> if if he has a Friday off, he's probably traveling to go referee some tournament within the state or within the zone. And so has been interesting, one, because of COVID, you know, being at home, but two, not going to a pool deck, not having an escape away. Right. Um, so by the time we do get to um, you know the end of the season, May, I'm ready for a break, but I want to get right back into it a couple months later because just like athletes and just like coaches, when referees are not refereeing, we're losing a little bit of our skill set, right? Right. But then we have to retrain for that, and it takes a little bit longer to retrain as we've got new rules that came into play a little bit this year, and so. It is unfortunate but I am glad that uh you know I was able to relax a little bit more you know during yeah. the spring but absolutely missed participating as well.
0: Yeah. Well and it's it is it's so consuming in that springtime we've had that conversation but you like, you really end up by the middle of may just like oh you just are running on fumes and at this point for even for me and i've had a couple of conversations with with our athletes and stuff and it's like i've had the best sleep of my life for the last two months (laughs) it's been great it's that so that's been a good part let's i'd like to transition just a little bit and have you go ahead and put your hat on for the uh the mountain zone chair so in your in your mind if we expand out of Utah and start talking a little bit more about the zone, if you give us a state of the zone uh, from, from your perspective as the chair, what, you know, current status, has how it has to do with COVID, uh, zone championships, integration of teams and clubs across the different zones. I'd love to, i just love to hear your insight on the mountain zone.
1: Great question. So the, the zone itself, uh, the, the spring, not just here in Utah, but in other uh, areas of the zone, it's a very busy time in the mountain zone at the age group level, at the high school level, and at the master's level. So, you know, for example, you talked about how the Utah high school season essentially came to an end uh, because of COVID. That was also true in New Mexico. Uh, their high school season was not allowed to take place. Uh, at the masters level, one of the largest masters tournament that we host in our zone, the uh, Desert Duel at ASU, did not take place, right. and that's a huge miss opportunity within the zone. Some of the smaller tournaments that would take place in Duke for the Duke City Annual Tournament, I'm sorry, in New Mexico for the Duke City Annual Tournament, uh, Nevada normally hosts a tournament, and then just Colorado being able to move throughout the zone and participate. So while there was a lack of opportunity, I also was able to see a lot of innovation that our teams and our club teams were doing with their athletes during this time, whether it was committing to dry land practice. I know we try to host a zone call, and most of the zone coaches were busy hosting a dry land practice, so we had to push back the time. As a referee, that's not... We're, just so everybody knows, the referees have not been, you know, doing dry land practices.
0: You haven't ever. been pacing up and down the deck, blowing your whistles,
1: blowing practicing whistle. your exclusions, so, nothing like yeah, that, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, that has really been um, great to see some of the innovation that our teams have done to to keep their teams intact, because it can be a difficult time where the athletes find a new hobby, you know, during three months off or the financial implications. That has been a concern from the zone level, from the state levels, and from the national organization level, what it would look like in the future. So, you know, those are things we're looking at, but the zone itself continues to to stay strong. And your question about zone championships at this point, uh, we have had to postpone zone championships, so it won't be taking place in June. Uh, The zone board will continue to work with Rocky Mountain Neptune's who were the host club this year to see if we can find an additional opportunity later in this year, if we can fit it into the calendar, or if we pause the current cycle and go ahead and award them the tournament again next year in 2021. It will all depend on what the calendar looks like, as well as kind of where things are opening up and what this will look like. Right. It is important to note that USA waterpolo right now at has put a halt on all sanctioned tournaments and scrimmages, and so we 're also at the mercy of when sanctioning begins to open up again
0: yeah so one of the key reasons why i 've decided to try to work on this podcast is just to try to create awareness among teams and clubs about what 's happening outside of their own pool uh, and maybe and create some awareness that goes along with that. As the chair of the zone, of the Mountain Zone, what are some of the things that excite you the most about being involved at the zone level? And, and what are some things that teams can do to participate in, and engage more at a zone level?
1: That's, that's really a great question. You know, one thing that always excites me about this zone is the small family that all of the coaches within the zone are. I mean, when, when you take a look at... At the zone from you know the 32,000 foot view at the, at the club level, age group level, you know we, there are two teams in New Mexico. Uh, we have two teams in Colorado. We have uh, two teams now in Arizona. One team in Southern Nevada. One team in Northern Nevada. And then the bulk of the teams here in Utah. Right. So the, the zone itself is a small family where they all have to rely and support each other. Same with the officiating, if we look right. at the numbers across the state. One thing that always excites me about the zone is just the pride of the zone. It's the largest geographical zone that USA Water Polo has. It's also one of the largest zones outside of California. While it may be one of the largest, the geographical piece really comes into play about right. what the zone's limitations are. So. Right. You know, what always excites me is we're continuing to grow. We are getting more teams. Colorado last fall hosted their first ever high school season with, I believe, six or eight teams. The growth's happening, um, and it's happening organically. It's the same here in Utah with everything that's been going on. The master's level continues to grow throughout the zone as well. So those are some of the pieces that really excite me of kind of where we're going is the growth and the commitment to collaborating and working with each other to make sure that their athletes have something to look forward to, whether it's a tournament or teams practicing together in the offseason.
0: Right. How about the flip side of that? Uh, Obviously, the geographic size of the zone is difficult, but what are some things that are frustrating? What are things that we can do as teams and clubs to work together better and to help support and grow and, and support each other?
1: Absolutely. You know, there are a couple of frustrations that are outside of our limitation. Geography is a frustration. Uh, cost of travel. Those right. are, you know, those can be barriers and frustrations outside of our control. But, you know, some of the other limitations um, and frustrations that I see within the zone, in some areas, the lack of commitment to year-round play polo. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like anything, to continue to get better and improve, you must continue to work on your practice and your craft. Same with refereeing. If a referee only referees for eight weeks and then they don't do it again for another, you know, 40 weeks, they're never going to get better in that way. Same with when it comes to playing. So some of the frustration is the lack of year round commitment that we do have within the zone, the lack of travel within some of the teams within the zone, that's not just a frustration i think from the administration level but it's also a frustration from a, a, the club growth level right of, you know the viability of us to continue to host tournaments when only the same couple of players continue to show up every time right um, that can be extremely frustrating on my side and, and on the the club team side and so discuss some of those opportunities you know a little bit later maybe of what we can do but I, I would say overall those are some of the larger frustrations just the lack of commitment to year round and investing in travel
0: yeah yeah i mean that that is obviously is hard but i have found in, um, from our perspective at olympus that once we decided to commit to travel that really just the club itself just exploded in terms of people who were excited about it I uh, wanted to go and do it. And those are those are the moments that the kids keep coming back to. It's like, when do we get to go to Colorado? When do we get to go to Albuquerque again? When do we get to go to California? So that's been that's really been a fun part over the last several years as we've grown and developed our club to see that happen. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift just a little bit and ask you to put your referee hat on because I, because you have so many different roles here. One of the key things in terms of trying to grow the game of water polo, the sport of water polo, is the officials. Incredibly key part of the game, right? I mean you there's just like one of the actors or actresses in the game, really, as the teams go back and forth. from your perspective from referee and referee training, what are some of the what are the ways that we can identify, attract, train, and retain referees? I, I'd love just some insight and feedback from from the referee side on that question
1: and that's a really difficult question because it's I wish I could say pinpoint x would be the perfect example of a referee myself right. like you know if, if i could like clone myself right that's, we just
0: need 12 right, you know, but that's, yeah, <laughs> that,
1: that'd be a little scary right you've
0: seen uh, the movie multiplicity right i'm exactly. dating myself like it's just exactly. like <laughs> um, to me
1: it all depends and we see this all the time when it comes to the referee is what what are they in it to do Right. Right. One of the things that I touch on when when I uh, do referee development and training is I don't necessarily spend a lot of time focusing on the USA water polo FINA rules. I focus on what it takes to be a referee. What are the characteristics of a strong referee? Um, What are the opportunities, certain characteristics that, you know, might be a little timid when it comes to be a referee and how can we address that? To me, referees across the board, no matter the sport, high-level officials demonstrate the same characteristics. If if I can find those characteristics in somebody, I can make them a good referee. I can right. teach you the rules and teach you how to apply the rules. Now, does it help if you've played the sport of water polo? Absolutely. Just like if I was a basketball ref, I've never played basketball. I'm sure it would take me a little bit to learn the flow and the fill of the game. Same with our sport of water polo. If you've never played the sport, even as a parent and you watch it, uh, or, you know, just a random spectator, if you haven't played the sport, you don't understand the fill and the flow of the game. Right. To me, when it comes to the officiating, do you have the temperament and characteristics to be a referee is number one. And number two, can you understand and one of the characteristics is, can you understand the flow of the game? If you, if you can't understand how the flow of the game should work when you should or should not be blowing the whistle, it's really hard to continue to progress forward, right? right. Because we're lacking some of those initial pieces. So ways to attract um, young officials is if you see uh, an athlete and they're interested in it, Let them blow the whistle during practice. Let them run the scrimmages a little bit. I understand maybe you want them in the water, but pulling them out of the water for 10 minutes to to blow the game um, is a great opportunity for them to continue to learn. I would never say I was the best player in the pool, and I don't think most of my referee colleagues would say they were the top player MVP. But they all understood the game, and so that's where they excel as an official. Right. Um, and, and the final point that I would make on that is Team Vegas, when it comes to their master's practice, they have the age group kids show up. Um, some of them get a play. Others, their entire job is to referee the scrimmage. There is you know, somebody behind helping them if need be, but it's so that way they can see the game from a different perspective to understand why a pass should go. Let's say from the one to the two versus one to five right? right so it's very helpful, I think at an earlier age to help identify and just you know see if somebody's interested in it
0: yeah and I think I think I've seen as kids have come out of our programs who have wanted to become referees, really it's and you mentioned it, it they may not be the best athlete on the team, and in fact, it's kind of similar to coaching just because you're the best athlete doesn't mean that you're yeah. the best coach or best referee but it's those folks who can kind of see that flow, understand, have the temperament for it. You know, you gotta have a little bit of chip on your shoulder and like to be in charge and, and be willing to tell these people who are probably bigger than you uh, which direction they're supposed to be swimming and what direction they're not supposed to be swimming. If we get into this, how can coaches and athletes and especially parents, how can coaches support referees? what what should be the attitude of a coach towards a referee? If you were to teach the coaches for just a couple minutes of what that might look like, how can that best be managed?
1: Um, That, you know, that really is a great question. And it, it works both ways in the relationship between a referee and a coach. To me, the number one fundamental piece between that relationship is respect. That to me is key. If a coach shows me respect, I'm more likely to show and demonstrate uh, mutual respect to them. If a coach does not necessarily want to show me respect, that's fine. The lack of communication that we may have with each other will most likely be low. Does it change the outcome of the game? No, but it changes the dynamic and the feel within the game, right? And that I think is everybody, can really sense there's something, there's a, the dynamics off here. Right. And so, you know, we've got to get coaches to one, respect officials, but we also need coaches to understand what is the the ability of this referee? If this is a new referee from the referee development side, like we talked about, we have to start at the basic fundamentals. Like It's like teaching somebody to walk when it comes to, are you standing in the right place? Are you positioning correctly? Are you doing the right movements? Are you signaling correct? Blowing the whistle, right? We have to get those fundamentals down before we can move on to the next stage of how are we applying advantage properly is, is something that makes our sport really unique and different is one, 9% of the sports played underwater. Right. Two, the officials are standing at interesting angles on the pool deck that can only really see from here cannot see anything down below versus if I'm a spectator and I'm standing and I'm sitting in the stands I'm 20 feet above uh, (laughs) a little bit different angle yeah I can see a lot things a lot different and you know that's part of that parent buying piece of it as well is it's understanding that the officials are there and whether or not, you think they're doing the right thing, they're, they really are trying to do the right thing, right? right. They're going off what their skill set is, and that skill set will continue to grow. Parents have seen me for years, and they will still disagree with maybe my cause, and that's fine. But it's, a, it's to me, when it comes to the parent buy-in, that mutual respect also works both ways, Right. Uh, why I'm there as well. Most of, the, most of our senior officials have been around this sport longer than any of them will ever participate in the sport. They will come and go in that short instance of their athletes, and most likely their athletes won't continue to give back to the sport. The same officials are coming back year over year giving back to the sport. So if you give us that mutual respect... It works both
0: ways. right? What about? I'm just curious, like you said, we run into this problem that the game is played underwater and there's a lot of action that's happening underwater. You've got lots of different whistles. You have the advantage rule that's being applied where sometimes it's called and sometimes it's not called. And so that can be frustrating. How? What would be the best way for a parent to learn the game? Obviously, because a lot of the times I have parents as a coach come up and say, I don't know what you're doing, but my kid loves it, but I have no idea what's going on. I'm wondering, from your multi roles, how is the best way for a parent to learn and understand the game of water polo?
1: There are different, you know, there are different resources out there. You know, you know, some of the resources are if you hear three whistles, exclusion. Okay, but what is an exclusion, right? right. Or why was that exclusion and that non-exclusion, right? So then they get even more confused when we give some of the here's what each whistle means, why it's called one way and why it's not called you know, the next time the same way. It's absolutely confusing. Our sport, I think, is one of the most unique sports with that idea of an advantage rule. In almost every other sport, when the referee blows the whistle, play stops, timeouts, there's substitutions, you know, there are all these different things that take place. And in water polo, when the referee blows the whistle, that's when play begins. Right. Um, and so, it's hard to train one if you've spent a lot of time watching other sports to kind of understand fully what's going on. Same with that idea of advantage where in other sports, if a foul is committed, even behind the ball, play still has to stop because a foul is committed. In water right. polo, we wave off those fouls because of what's continuing to uh, progress and transition down the pool. That, I think, is really hard um what i've seen from parents to buy into because they're more focused on their individual athlete and not understanding the the broader picture it's also a really hard skill set to teach a younger official as well so that's kind of that we're in this together kind of piece. Is it's you know those young officials teaching yourself to open up your vision and see the entire pool i understand that happened there but you were caught focusing here and you forgot what was down there that I and, and so we have to work with the officials. I think we need to continue to, to teach the parents and I also think it's the coach's responsibility as well to also help educate their parents. If an example of what I just said of uh, there might be some foul happening in the backcourt as your team is scoring in the front court and the parents are yelling at the referee in the backcourt for not calling that foul, for the coach to then educate the parent as to what just took place. That I think can help us in the long run as well, because ultimately the coach should be held accountable for educating their parents. The referee should not be having to turn around and educate spectators during the game about what's going on. but there are different resources out there, and it's like that idea of the mutual respect that I said. If a parent wants to ask a referee a question during an appropriate time at the end of a game, if they're on their break and you approach them in a, in a professional way, most likely they'll give you those couple of minutes to answer your question. Yeah. But if you don't approach them in a mutual respect way or you're not respectful during the game, don't expect to hear from them at the end of the
0: Excellent points. So, In terms of transitioning into a new topic here a little bit, the whole point of the podcast is to try to create uh, manageable strategies for sport growth. What are ways we can come together to get more kids playing the game, to get more quality play and competition opportunities? So, I'm curious, again, from your perspective, what are some of the ways that you have seen or that you would recommend in terms of clubs and coaches that can attract retain and support athletes like, and get more athletes into their club and maintain and engage those athletes for a long period of time so that they want to continue in the sport.
1: You know, there has been some wonderful sport growth um, pieces taking place outside the mountain zone, but there's also been some really creative ways that have been taking place inside the mountain zone. An example of this is in New Mexico. And the growth that they've had in uh, Splashball, uh, where they have partnered as part of the swim lesson, as part of the swim lessons to help introduce Splashball from an early onset. They allow you know a free couple of weeks to come in to play the game, you know to experience it. Through that splash ball program, which helps because of different liability and legal pieces, risk mitigation behind it. But that opportunity, I think, has been great as to what they have done, whether it's changing the recruitment and the marketing piece of the marketing being bilingual, you know, to attract mm-hmm. other nationalities and language speaking. That's been a great growth strategy that they've tried attacking when it comes to the master's players of, you know, getting their kids involved. I know quite a few master's players who, one, either their kids all play, or two, they don't want their kids to play. <laughs> I, one I've of always, two
0: categories, huh? I've
1: always <laughs> found fascinating, but to me, the, the hardest thing about our sport as well when it comes to the growth side of it is you have to have some swimming fundamental if you really can't swim it's very difficult to continue to progress within our sport and so that's where that that swimming buy-in and tie comes in you know really well and incorporating into the swim lessons to get it in early because then the youngsters are building a love for both swimming and for polo and they get the best of both worlds so that's those are a couple of strategies that i have seen you know that have have grown the numbers as well. The other side of it too is just what are you doing throughout the year? If you're just holding practices year-round, you might not get a lot of, of continued growth. You know, once you take that, that next step to traveling to different tournaments, getting outside, doing those team building camaraderies, that the parents are going out. That I think then is where the team transitions from just being you know, regular team to that full club that's really needed for the ultimate success for the year-round polo that we want to see in our zone.
0: We've talked about this a couple of times, but in the past, the challenge that you gave to us a couple of years ago to say, you know, you should just pack up and travel across the Rockies and go to the Craig Laughlin tournament. That legitimately changed the trajectory of our club overall, right? I mean, I look back at that point of, man, we moved a hundred kids in two weeks time back to that tournament that first time it was crazy but it was super fun and every year our kids always are coming back that travel tournaments really are the highlight of their because they get to they get to go out and be with their buddies and friends it's even less about the water polo as it is just being to be with their friends and occasionally getting to play good water polo here and there so i'd be curious what can we do to improve the game in the mountain zone. And that may be technical, that may be tactical, but I would like just the experience of the game. You've seen all the different pools, you've seen all the different tournaments. What would you recommend in terms of how do we improve engagement?
1: That that's a great question. I think it, it, it ties into exactly what we were just talking about when it comes to, you know, traveling. And I, and I understand there are some limitations behind that, but that really does improve the game within the zone. It, it, it gauges where we are at within a zone. Many of those athletes that continue to travel throughout the zone to different tournaments end up playing on the ODP team. They have familiarity with those athletes. And it is a struggle with our ODP teams as well because we are so far apart. They don't get to practice as much before they go to the championships, right? And so being able to know each other throughout the year, build that camaraderie is huge. One thing that always makes me laugh too about those tournaments is the pool set up where each team kind of gets their own little corner and you know they set up their little snacks and then you've got <laughs> parents interacting then you've got kids just hanging out lounging and talking to each other all day or you know sitting on the benches and cheering we allow a lot more of that interaction to take place at those zone tournaments than we probably would necessarily allowed in For instance, like what we allow here at the Utah High School State Tournament, where it's a strict bench policy. But we understand at those zone tournaments, these teams have traveled hundreds of miles and they have nowhere to go. They're just hanging out at the pool. Right. bench here, Build that camaraderie. For some of these kids, they only get to play four or five weekends out of the year total to just do tournaments. Everything else is just practice. And so... That, I I think, also helps. You know, the other interesting thing is we do have some club teams that they don't get a lot of opportunities to play in a tournament style or in a quote-unquote real game with two referees and, you know, the tables and everything working. And yet, when they have those opportunities, they're beating the teams that are playing year-round, which to me then demonstrates those coaches are while they're lacking the opportunities for the gameplay whatever they're doing in practice it's it's really working right they're they're focusing on the fundamentals and they're focusing on aspects of the game that are needed to move up to that higher level i would love to see what some of those teams are doing being implemented throughout the entire zone to overall improve the quality of play i do think there are some areas where Some states lack, whether it's fundamentals or abilities and other states are better, but it all just depends, you know, on kind of the dynamic of what's going on in the culture and the growth. And so that to me alone, if like you said, you travel to a tournament, you were able to gauge at that point where you sat in the zone and you were able to come back and make improvements. I would love to see more teams take that opportunity to actually really assess where they're at within the zone. The other piece behind that too would be, you know, the mountain zone moving towards, let's say the mountain zone championship moving towards, you know, a strict, more JO qualified tournament. And most of our zone tournaments moving where we're getting away from all of the, the 18 U mix, the 16. I would love us to move to more strict boys games, girls games and mixed at the younger age that I think would also show the continued growth we're having in the zone.
0: Right. And maybe you just answered my next question, but what I wanted to ask was flash forward. What do you want water polo to look like in Utah and the mountain zone five years from now? What do you see in terms of that growth tra- trajectory?
1: Uh, one, what I'd love to see is I came into this admin role three and a half years ago. I wanted us by this year to have a mountain zone JO qualifier tournament, um, I guess COVID caught wind of what my <laughs> plan was and um, has kind of delayed that. So once I step aside, people won't have to worry about that as much. But to me, in five years, if we are hosting a true JO qualifier tournament within the mountain zone, that to me, then shows we've made the growth, we've made transition to being a more legitimate zone in the sense of our number-wise, and we have a number, we have too many teams then who are wanting to go to JOs, and they're having to compete for those spots. That would be my ultimate dream for us to get to that point, To, to align with what the other zones are doing when it comes to that. That then, to me, shows our growth, and it also shows our improvement in capability
0: right when i'd be curious to know when you are involved in interacting with referees from across the country or maybe on calls with as a zone chair with usa water polo what, what are those things that you take away from a leadership role that says, like, th- this is what we need to work on, right? I mean, obviously, the JO quals is something that we want to do. Continue to try to bring legitimacy to the water polo in the mountain zone. What, what are the top two or three things that you feel like as clubs, as athletes, as parents that we can do together to help continue to try to create that awareness of the sport, legitimacy of the play it, from a national perspective?
1: Um, you know, from a national side, what I'd love to see is I would love to see more varsity polo within our five states. Right now, we have the ASU women's program. Uh, we have the, the men's program at Air Force Academy. And then we have the upcoming program at Ottawa in Arizona as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would love to see more varsity polo. Uh, In the zone, I think that would also then allow younger athletes to go watch some of that higher level polo to see the, you know, the transition from high school to the potential for collegiate play. That would also help with referee development in the sense of we could have more referees within the mountain zone refereeing within the local conferences for our, our teams within the area. Right now, because we lack a lot of collegiate teams, most of the referees in those conferences are based out of the the main area where most of the teams are based in that conference. And so the conference is not necessarily willing to expense to pay for, let's say, a referee that lived in New Mexico to go do one or two games a year. It's not cost effective for them. So we're lacking some of those uh, pieces. We also don't have high school sanctioned water polo in any of the five states. We could get one of the states. Been a lot of talk about Utah over the years because of just the sheer number of teams we have in Utah, uh, which is almost three times the rest of the entire zone. Right. Um, so having, having some kind of high school sanctioned polo in one of the five states would tremendously help our ability, as well as more water polo regulated pools the, the majority of them within the zone are here in utah um, arizona has a couple of beautiful pools um, same with new mexico but you know having two or three pools that you have access to can also limit what that growth would look like in five years with the viability of how many teams can you have operating in three
0: or four facilities? three pools yeah right well, cool. I, this has been this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm curious if you have any final thoughts or anything that you'd like to share.
1: Um, you know, the, the last thought that I would think about, you know, growing the future of the sport would be continuing to travel, but understanding what the expectations of what water polo is. That I do think is falls within a weakness, an opportunity, and a threat to our sport, and that really is uh, water polo at the collegiate level. The national level here, um, at the local level, it is a weekend sport. It is a club sport that is played on the weekends, and that is Friday, Saturday, Sundays. I do think it's important for expectations to be set uh, within if you are participating in the mountain zone, and if you do want to participate in ODP, and if you want to move on to the collegiate level, you will play on Sundays. Yeah, that is our sport. It will continue to be our sport moving forward, and I understand that can be limitations. Um, but those limitations can also, if they're not addressed up front about what our sport looks like at all facets, can be detrimental in the long run because it, it hinders the team's ability to travel by not setting expectations up front. That would be my final point that i make about the future of our sport. final thing that I would say is we're all in this together. It's been a struggle the last couple of months for people not being able to play. Yeah. Feel terrible for the seniors in all of the states that haven't been able to play. One one amazing thing about being an official um, that travels within the zone for a number of years is I watch some of these athletes, you know, play the sport for six years. I watch them improve. I watch them decline. I watched <laughs> them do crazy things, right? Where. I get more frustrated on the pool deck because of the way they're playing, because I know what they're capable of, right? And so that, to me, has also been kind of a sadness of not being able to see some of these seniors that I've seen for all the years grow up and not be able to officiate maybe their last game. So that, I think, is sad. But we're all in this together. Our sport is in a great position. USA Water Polo is in a great position. And the zone uh, will only continue to grow and get better as time goes on.
0: Fantastic. Well, one of my very last things, one of my goals for this podcast is to create the world's best water polo playlist. All right. And so I, I gave you some heads up that we were going to do this, but what is, what song do you want to add to the salty splash song list? Uh, you know, that song that just totally gets you pumped to watch water polo or play water polo or to, I guess, referee water polo. I mean, you have pump up jams to before you wow. get onto ref.
1: We always have pump pump jams. I don't know if anybody <laughs> has ever noticed, but before Tyson does a big game, I will put on headphones and I will leave the pool deck and I will listen to a song. And the song that I listen to before I referee any high-level game is I'm Bossy by Police. It just gets me <laughs> set up. That's my, that's my go-to jam.
0: That is the jam, huh? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, this is, this is going to be the best... L- <laughs> Love it. this is gonna be the best uh, playlist ever and that'll no, be the I'm first sure. ad to it for sure. I'm so sure. Hey, uh, Tyson again, thank you so much for taking a little some time out to talk about water polo on the salty splash here. We'll uh, I'm sure that that'll be great some great feedback. Any other last final thoughts, parting thoughts?
1: No. Nope.
0: okay. You're the man. I appreciate it. Enjoy that time. Let's hopefully we get back into the water here soon and you can start blowing the whistle and we can start coaching and get those kids going back and forth.
1: Absolutely. Sounds
0: good, Sean. Cool. Thanks, Tyson. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye-bye. Thanks again to Tyson Heath, USA Water Polo Mountain Zone chair and referee. Please subscribe, rate, give a five-star review, and share the podcast. If you just can't get enough water polo podcasts, check out Steve Carrera's pod, Off the Deck, where Steve talks to many of the best coaches in the game. You'll also like Tony Azevedo's podcast, The Tony Azevedo Podcast, hosted by Dave Williamson, as they look at water polo through the lens of Tony's five Olympic games and the future-focused mindset. Check out what's going on in Texas at the Texas Water Polo Podcast and in the Midwest at the Nearside Low Podcast. All very interesting conversations working to support the game we love. We are just trying to make a journey to be a voice for sport growth in the water polo wilderness. Always honor the game. Keep your head on a pivot. Until next time, peace.